Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for each and every one of us this morning, Lord. Thank you for calling us to come here and to hear your message, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll open our hearts. I pray that you will help us hear and listen and just to let the word do its work in our lives, Lord. Thank you, God, so much for your goodness, for your love. Thank you for Jesus, and thanks for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Mercy Hill. Uh, if any of you is new here this morning, my name is Jonas. I'll be bringing the message this morning. Um, and we'll be reading in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. If you have been following the reading plan this week, that's where we were at. Isaiah, chapter 7. And I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, my apologies for my reading. It stinks a little bit, but... <laughs> Isaiah 7. In the days of, a of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of, jo jo king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, of the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Syria, and the son of Ramaliah, because Syria with Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliah, has devised, an evil, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves and set up son, the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, "Ye shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm... In faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol and high as, as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary man that, that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray once again. God in heaven, we thank you uh, for this opportunity, Lord. I just want to pray this morning that, God, your word, we know that it's like a two-edged sword. I just want to pray that it would cut off everything in our heart that is displeasing to you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be holy as you call us to be. We thank you that you have given us this opportunity, Lord, to be here. And we thank you that you are God. And we thank you that you love us so much, Lord. Speak to us this morning and let our hearts hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The story we've been reading this week and which I'll be talking about this morning is really the story of redemption of God redeeming his people for himself. And when you start to read it, uh, 
at least that when I started to read it, it was a little bit... Um, I didn't really understand very much because of all the history that's in it, um, because of all the attacks and the names within it. So much history. Um, and the more I read it, the more I began to understand. So there is a little bit of history that I'll be talking about this morning, just for the sake of understanding um, the, the story itself. And scripture is filled with uh, prophecies to, the, to God's people. And I would say many of the prophecies that we think about, when we think about, about prophecies, is God bringing judgment to his people because of their sin, because of idolatry. Um, so God sp spoke to his men, and the men delivered the message to his people about the judgment of God. But this story is a little bit different. The prophecy that God gives to Isaiah here in this passage is not necessarily about, it's not judgment against his people, it's actually a blessing. It's the beginning of God's, God showing his plan of redemption to his people through the coming Messiah. It says here, Behold, the Lord God of hosts is taken away from Jerusalem and from Judah. Support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder, and the captain and the fifty and the, of fifty and the men of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert of charm. This is, this is extracted from Isaiah 3, showing God bringing judgment against his people. Because his people were basically evil. They were committing idolatry. They were worshiping Baal. And so God, in order to show them his judgment, in order to help them realize that they were wrong by worshiping Baal, God takes whatever it is that they put their trust in. And so he strips them of, their, of the things that they trusted. And also, in the book of 2 Kings, we see another judgment that is pronounced against King Ahab uh, through the prophet Elijah. If you can remember, Elijah was a prophet chosen by God to bring a message to King Ahab about what was going to happen because of people's idolatry. And he brought the message that there was not going to be rain for three years. And he told the king, there will be no rain, no, no rain, nor dew because of, you know, the idolatry that's been going on in the, uh, throughout the people of Israel. And so that's another judgment. But when we look at this passage here, we see a blessing coming from far. Okay? God is promising to, to bless his people through the coming Messiah. Now, to kind of understand exactly the context of this passage, I think it's worth going back to history, the history of Israel, um, and talking a little bit about it so that we, we're all in the same page. Now, at this point, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. And Israel, which was composed of ten tribes, they lived in the northern part. And Judah, which was composed of two tribes, two small tribes, they lived in the southern part. And so what was happening is, just like any other nation, there are neighboring countries, right? The United States have neighboring countries around. And so they had neighboring nations as well. And one of those nations was Syria. What was happening here is Syria um, makes alliance with Israel in the north to wage war against um, Assyria. Syria was a small, is a small country 
whereas Assyria is a bigger, um, is a bigger kingdom. And so Syria was waging, wanted to wage war against Assyria. And so they invite uh, Israel to join them. And these two together invite Judah also to join them. But the king of Judah, Ahaz, refuses. He says, no, I will not do that. And so because of that denial, they want to wage war now against Judah in the south. Now, somebody denied, uh, the king here denies uh, to make alliance with these two kings and to wage war against, uh, against, against the kingdom of Assyria. And so what happens is, these two kings, the, the king of Israel and the king of Syria, they want to attack Judah. And when the king of Judah hears that there is, not, there is an attack that's going to happen against you, He's terrified. He's really, really terrified because he knows his enemy. He knows that these people, they're probably ruthless. You know, if they attack us, they're going to take us captive. You know, all sorts of evil things might happen to us. And so he's terrified. This is the king. And many times when, um, when we look at our rulers, when we look at our... Um, Leaders, we look, we look up to them, right? We want them to deliver us from situations like this. There is an attack, you know, uh, bring soldiers or, you know, whatever you have to combat them, right? But now we see that King Ahaz is terrified. And the passage even says that he shakes as the trees shake before the wind. This is the king we're talking about. Have you guys ever been... Afraid to the point of shaking? I have. Um, my wife and I were traveling once from Cleveland to Chicago on the way back to Mozambique, and it was during the winter time. Um, the flight was really terrifying. Uh, we got to Chicago and we couldn't land. So the plane kept flying over Chicago because the weather was bad, really bad. It was snowy and windy and it was not safe. And so during the time we were flying over Chicago, there was so many like, turbulences and the plane was shaking and everybody, I could see that everybody around us was terrified. And my wife was holding my hand. And every time there was so much shaking, she would squeeze my hand, and I knew that she was really scared. She was really scared. I was too. But you know one of those times when, you, when, you, when you're scared, but you don't want to show that you're scared because, I mean, you're with your wife or with your girlfriend. You don't want to show her that you're scared. You want to be a man, right? And so I was in that situation. I was terrified terrified. I kept praying, Lord, is this my last day now? It wasn't, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> it wasn't. So King Ahaz was terrified. He was shaking. He was scared of these guys. These guys are going to end up with my life. But what happens then is that God sends a man Isaiah, to go and talk to King Ahaz. He goes, and he, he talks to King Ahaz. And now, when somebody's going through a situation like that, what you want to hear is comfort, right? You want to hear somebody come and comfort you. Oh, it's okay, you're going to be fine, right? You'll be fine. This is going to pass. Um, God is with you. That's what you want to hear. You want to, you want to be comforted. And that's exactly what happened. Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and talks to him. And he tells him not to fear. Do not fear. So here, uh, 
God comforts Ahaz through the passage, uh, the same passage in verse 3, and says, And the Lord said to Ahaz, to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah. We all, need, we all want comfort when, we, when we're going through a tough situation. Some of us are good at comforting others, but I'm not very good at comforting others. Um, but what happened here is the comfort was coming from God himself. The comfort that King Ahaz was receiving here was not necessarily coming just from Isaiah. Isaiah had received this from God, and now he was delivering it to King Ahaz. Do not fear. Do not fear. Now, I'm curious to know, you know, as I was reading the passage, I was just thinking, how was King Ahaz when he heard this from Isaiah? What was his reaction did he stop trembling, shaking? Because it's pretty good to know that the Lord himself is giving you comfort. The Lord Almighty, he knows everything. He created everything, and he knows the future. When he comes to you and tells you, do not fear, you're supposed to trust in that, right? Because he's God. He knows the end of this story, before even Ahaz knows how it's going to end, the, God, the Lord, God, he knows. But what Ahaz does, he does not trust in God. However, he seems to be very, he seems to be very uh, spiritual, the way he reacts. He says to Isaiah, I will not put the Lord to the test. Trying to seem to be a little bit uh, spiritual or, you know, godly. And I, it seems like this is something that we do, right? We do. I mean, many times we try to seem like we're so spiritual and um, just to look good to other people. This is exactly what King Ahaz was doing here. But... Inside himself, he was not trusting in the Lord. He was not trusting. If we trust in the Lord, he will save us from so much anxiety. Because many of the things that we fear, many of the things that make, a, makes a, make us anxious on a daily basis, they are things that have nothing to do with our spiritual life. There are things that, you know, amongst ourselves, amongst our relationship with each other, you know, things that, you know, give us a good life here on earth. Some people are anxious about um, just the finances. Am I going to be, am I going to have enough when I retire? Do I look okay? Am I not too, you know, overweight? Or am I not too skinny? Or, you know, how do I look? And people get anxious about these kind of things. But many times, it's stuff like that that gets us, uh, get us anxious. But if we trust in the Lord, we will know that these, these kind of things, they're so temporary. When we go to heaven, when Jesus comes, we are not taking our money with us, to Jesus, with Jesus. We are not even going to have this body. It's going to be a glorified body. We won't take anything from the earth to heaven. Nothing. So it's worth trusting in the Lord and knowing that He's in control and he knows, our, he knows our heart and just focusing on worshiping Him. 
We should focus on him. Now, King Ahaz here, he doesn't trust in God. And he, he thinks that Isaiah is just bluffing. I mean, he, it's just what he does, right? He doesn't trust in him. He doesn't trust that the Lord will say what Isaiah was telling him he was going to say. But he was wrong because God cares about his people. And God cared about Ahaz himself. And what God wanted was to Ahaz to trust in him, to seek him, because even in that moment when he was shaking, even in, in that difficult moment when somebody was threatening to, to attack him, the Lord had his hand on him. And that is why he was bringing Isaiah to comfort him. Being humble or trusting in somebody involves being humble. Trusting in God involves you being humble enough to know that I can't do this on my own. I cannot save myself. Only Jesus can save me. Until you get to that point, there is always going to be humility. Uh, there's always going to be pride in our hearts. And that, that thought of the fact that we might be able to do it, solve the things on our own, but we cannot. In 1 Peter 5, 7, we read, we read like this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. God cared for Israel. He cared for Judah. He cares for his people. And what God wanted at this moment was for his people to trust in him and to trust in the word that Isaiah was delivering to them, that that, whatever attack was going to, yeah, they were being threatened with, was, go was not going to happen. They had to trust in the Lord, but they did not. They didn't. And like I was saying, in order to cast our anxieties to Christ, we need to trust him. Because you're not just going to leave something. You're not going to leave, let something go, you know, if you don't trust in the Lord. It involves really, truly trusting in him and knowing that he will take care of me. It does not matter how much money I will have when I retire. It doesn't matter how sick I will be. My heart is with him. When I die, I'll be with him. And that should be a very big comfort to us as believers in Christ. Amen. It should be a big comfort. It takes humility to trust in the Lord and to cast our anxieties in his hands. But Ahaz did not humble himself. In fact, what he did was he, he sent a, a bribe. He took uh, money, he took gold and different things from the house of God, and then he sent it to Assyria, which was the kingdom of, of Assyria. He sent it to them as a way of bribing them so that they would attack his enemies, Israel and Syria. You see that instead of trusting God to defeat his enemies, he trusts a man. He trusts a man. And many times we do this. And so many times I, I do it too. I do it. I remember when um, my wife, when we were dating back in Mozambique, she I, I mean, during the, throughout time, I asked her, do you like your country? Because I, I realized that she loved so much, she loved Mozambique so much, so much, that I was having doubts if she really liked her country. And I asked, do you, do you like your country? She said, yes, I do. But um, there are some things that I don't like about it. 
and I asked, what is it? She said, people have so much that they forget about God. People have so much wealth that they forget that that wealth is given by God. And my answer was like this. Well, here, it's the opposite. People are so poor that they forget that there is a God that can provide for them. Even those people who are believers, you know, they pray so much and they still continue in poverty. And so that makes them become unbelievers. So there is a ditch on either side, right? But what I want to tell you this morning is it doesn't matter where you are, whether poor or rich, do not let your situation distract you from worshiping Jesus. Do not let it distract you. Because all that matters is our worship, worshiping God. Our money is not going to worship God. Or our poverty is not going to worship God. Let's have a heart of worshiping God. When we, when we went to the men's retreat just a couple weeks ago, there is something that James Miller said that got stuck in my mind. And he said like this, If you do not feel the desire to worship, then ask God to give you a desire to worship. And I feel like that's so important because so many times we get caught up with things to do. Like we do this, we do that, we do this and that. And we just don't have the desire to seek God. We don't have the desire. In those situations, it's important for us to ask God to give us the desire to worship him. Because that's why we were made. That's why he made us. He made us to worship him and to put our trust in him. Unlike King Ahaz, who did not trust in the Lord, and rather he trusted in the, king, in the kingdom that he, he, he viewed as being bigger or stronger than him to defeat his enemies. Of course, it's ha it happened. Assyrians attacked Syria, and they attacked Israel as well, and they, de they defeated them. But in the end, he also got attacked. But if he had trusted in the Lord, I believe the situation would have, been, would have been different. And what I want to emphasize here is, it doesn't matter how bad the situation, our life seems to be. If we really trust in the Lord, he's got us. He's got us. He doesn't only have our back, you know, when we say, I got your back. He doesn't only have our back. He's, he's got us, right? He's got us. So let's trust in the Lord. So if you're here this morning and you're confronted with a problem that you, you have no strength to bring to an end, you're going through a situation that it's, it's above and beyond what you can handle, Please remember that who lives in you is far stronger than anything. Jesus is way stronger than anything. Just focus on him and just focus on worshiping him and him alone. Amen? So what can we learn from, what can we learn from this story? The one thing that I that really struck me is the fact that God is patient. God is so patient with us, brothers and sisters. He is patient. He was patient with Ahaz. There was so much idolatry going on in, in, in Israel, people worshiping Baal, uh, you know, just doing things that displeased God. But God was still patient. And he sent his man to go and comfort his people. Do not let your heart be faint. Are we patient? I am not. I'm not very patient. I get angry very, very easily when, something, uh, when somebody does something 
you know, over and over again. I get impatient and I tend to, you know, get off the handle <laughs> and stuff like that. But God is patient. God is not like that. We as men, human beings, are not like God. God is showing his patience here with his people by sending Isaiah and bringing him comfort, bringing King Ahaz comfort in the midst of that terrifying situation. And I would like to tell you this morning, if you are going through a situation like that, or it may even be different, or a different type of situation, God is with you. God is with you, and he knows your situation. He knows. All you got to do is just to turn to him. Do not turn your back to him, but rather turn to him and worship him. Please worship him. God is patient with us. And if we think of, of so many times that we anger God, we realize that he is really patient. Me, myself, I have done things in my life that I'm not proud of. Not at all. And to some extent, I feel unworthy of standing here and preaching. But God's word has changed me. Jesus Christ has washed me of my sin. And I believe that if you seek him, truly seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. And he will do the same. And he will do it with pleasure because he wants you to worship him. He wants you to fulfill the reason why he made you, which was to, to worship him. We all struggle with um, doubts and with patience. And we can see that in Matthew 18, chapter 21. It reads like this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Um, some other translations say 70 times seven. But in any case, this, is a, this, is, this, is, this means that there is no limit for us being patient to other people because look at what Jesus did on the cross. He died for his own enemies. We were his enemies at, at some point. And still, he came to the earth and he suffered and he died for us while we were his enemies. He is patient. And if we look at the definition of love in the Bible, in the first Corinthians, we see that the first word that comes is patience. Love is patient and kind. God is loving and God is love. And he's patient with us. I've heard a couple of times some people say to me, we've been hearing that Jesus is going to come. You know, we believe that even, even our you know, um, ancestors heard the same thing, that Jesus was going was to come. He never comes. Where is he? Why doesn't he come? He is patient. He's giving us time for us to repent of our sin and to follow him. He wants us to repent, completely repent, and just to follow him. And again, he knows. God knows himself when he's going to send Jesus to come back to the earth for his church. So let's trust and surrender to the Lord Jesus because that's the right thing to do. Even with our rebellion, God always gives us another chance and another chance and another chance. Let's embrace these opportunities that God gives us to worship him. And to trust him. To trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. To trust that we're in him and we're safe in his hands. 
It doesn't matter the situation. And the other thing that I will talk about this morning is being firm in faith. In verse 7, it says, Thus the Lord God, that says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. See? If you are not firm in your faith, you are not firm at all. What do you believe in? I feel like in the, in the world that we live today, it's very crucial for us to be firm in our faith. Because there are so many doctrines out there. There are so many people teaching things that are extra-biblical. So much heresy being taught out there. And if you're not firm in your faith, you will end up being astray. You, you might go astray. People might convince you with whatever doctrine they're teaching. So it's important for us to be really firm and strong in our faith so that we can survive this. And so Ahaz is told here, if you are not firm in your faith, you'll not be firm at all. There is no point in saying that you trust in the Lord if you don't have faith in Him. There is no point. We need to be strong brothers and sisters. We need to be brothers. We need to know what we believe exactly and be firm in that. And I hope all of you believe in Christ Jesus as the Son of God, the one that came to earth and died on the cross to save you from your sins, to save me from my sins. And today, we're able to gather here as a church, as his body, to worship him together. And that one day, he will come to take us to the Father. He will give us eternal life. I hope you all believe this. And if you do, I urge you to be firm in that belief because it's right. That is right. And anything that you hear that differs from that, just ignore it. Just ignore it. Because you know the truth. You know the truth. In Ephesians 2, chapter 8, we read that, for it's by grace that you have been saved, through faith. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Again, we are called to have faith because we are saved only by faith. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, we read, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There is no point in coming to church if you do not have faith because church does not make anyone a Christian. Just church, just church does not make anyone a Christian. It's what you believe. If you believe in Christ, yes. You're on the right spot. But just going to church just to be seen, it doesn't make you a Christian. I'm sorry, it's, but it's the blunt truth. Of course, you can learn in church, but simply going to church just because you want to please other people or you know, just because you're used to going to church when, since when you were a child, it doesn't make anyone a Christian. I was, I was there at some point. I was born to Christian parents. We always went to church on Sundays. 
I always went to church. And there was a point in my life that I was not even a believer. I was not a Christian because I just went to church because I was used to it. I went to church not because I had a desire, I had the hunger of learning about God, of learning, of, of receiving Jesus as my Savior, but I just went to church because I was so used to it and I had been doing it all my life. Now, if, if, if there is anyone here in that situation, I urge you that please seek Jesus earnestly, seek Jesus truly, and he can change you. He can change your life. Please seek to know him. The last point that I'll be making this morning is the fact that God is with us. The promise that God makes. The prophecy, this prophecy that he gives to Isaiah. And he tells him. He, sees, he, he shows him a vision of Jesus being born in the future. In the verse 13 it says, And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary man that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is one of the prophecies about the coming of Jesus. He's saying here, King Ahaz, by refusing to trust in the Lord, it doesn't change anything in God. If we choose not to trust in God, it doesn't change anything in him. Okay? He continues to be God. He continues to be powerful. He continues to be wonderful. You know, all his attributes continue the same. He never changes. Even if we choose not to trust in him, it's our loss. It's really our loss when we don't trust him, in him. Now, God shows here that Jesus is going to be born in the future. So this is a sign of the coming Messiah who was who going to be conceived by a virgin and be born. I, I have seen situations with uh, births that were unusual uh, back home in Mozambique. And one of the times that I can remember right now is in, two, in the year 2000, there was a flood in Mozambique that devastated the southern part of Mozambique. And... Uh, uh, houses were all submerged and people were so desperate and they had nowhere to go. They would get up the, the roof and they would stay there, um, you know, just waiting basically to die. And at that time, the government of South Africa, which is a neighboring country, sent helicopters to Mozambique to rescue people. And so the helicopter would come um, and it would, it would be flying and they would throw this rope, you know, down to the roof and any person was, that was there, they would grab that rope and they would pull it into the helicopter. And so that's how they, they rescued people. And this kept going on and on and on for days. And during that time, there was a lady that was pregnant in her last month. And she was up the tree with her husband. They climbed up the tree. And she gave birth to her son up there in the tree. And that was in the news in the whole country. You know, they, they announced that in the news. They showed the baby, healthy baby. And the mom also was rescued from there, you know, it was unusual. It's not every day that something like this happens, right? It's unusual. And the other birth uh, that I can kind of uh, share with you is, is my own birth. My mom told me that when I was born, 
she had lost six, uh, seven children before me because she had this disease that every time you know, she had a baby, um, just days after that, the baby would die because of a disease that she had. And so when she got a treatment, after that treatment, I was the one to be born. And I believe you can kind of imagine there nervousness on the part of my parents every time I would fall sick growing up, you know, uh, thinking that I was going to die too. But obviously I'm here. Uh, <laughs> um, God saved me, and I'm here. I'm here with you. Um, but even with the weirdness and unusualness of all these situations here, Jesus' conception and birth, it surpasses any, any other kind. There is no comparison whatsoever. Number one, it was foretold. His birth was foretold. He's going to be conceived by a virgin. And he's going to be born. He's going to be um, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Guys, I don't know if you can imagine this. God himself with us through this baby, this baby that was going to be born. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful to think about. Isaiah, he receives this, this prophecy to tell the king, and I don't know how they reacted to it. I don't know, but it should, it should bring joy to people. God coming to inhabit with us, within us. God who created this world perfect, and because of sin it became imperfect, come into the same world, the same earth that he created and inhabiting here. That is wonderful. That is wonderful to think about. And in Galatians 4, chapter 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And what caught my eye here was the very first sentence. But when the fullness of time came, when the fullness of time came, in other words, when the right time came, Jesus came. You might be asking, why was it the right time? Why not before? And if we think about this historically, we will see that it was really the right time because this, this was during the reign of the Roman Empire, right? They were all over that region and they had built roads. And so it was easy to travel from one nation to another because there were paved roads even. The language spoken, I, I believe it was... The same, because there, there was no way they would be speaking different languages, you know, and doing businesses, languages that other people did not understand. I believe there was unification there in the Roman Empire. So it was easier for the message that Christ was bringing to be uh, sent, to, to go to, you know, different nations, because they spoke uh, a language similar or or if not even the same, to, be un to understand each other. Now, it was easier to travel also because the message of God was going to go from, from, one, uh, from one nation to another. If you can remember, when Jesus was born, his parents took him to Egypt, right? They had to travel to Egypt. I believe they used the roads that were built by the Romans, in, yeah, within the Roman Empire. So it was the right time. And if we think about it, uh, if we think about it spiritually, it was the right time too because the people were so desperate, spiritual, spiritually desperate to receive the Savior. They were desperate. They needed a Savior. And you and I need a Savior too. So Jesus came at the right time in the fullness of time. 
Jesus would come to give us the right for adoption by God. This is, this is wonderful. It's wonderful. As I close here, I'm going to call the worship team to come up. And I would say the reason why Jesus came is because our sin was so bad that only God could save us. Only he could save us. And God himself comes. And he suffers and he dies. He comes to the people that were so ungrateful. He comes to the people that were so impatient, unlike him. He comes to the people that were his enemies. And he still pursues them, even though they're his enemies. He pursues them and he wants to save them. He wants to rescue them. We have everything to thank Jesus about. We can never, ever thank him enough. He has saved us. And that's huge. And we should be able to understand this. Sometimes, many times, it's, it's, it's hard to wrap our mind around that, right? We can't really understand why somebody, somebody would leave, you know, their comfort in heaven and come to the earth. Knowing that on earth he was going to be persecuted, he was going to be, you know, lied about and accused falsely and, you know, beaten and he was going to go through so many terrible things, but still he chose to come. And all because he loves you and I. He loves you and I. And there is no love like this. There is no love like this. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that even though we were your enemies, you chose to come and you chose to save us. We did not choose you, but you chose us. And we thank you for grace. We thank you for the opportunity you give us, Lord, to just hear this message, a message of hope, hope that you have given us, hope that one day we'll be with you when you come to take your church, hope that we're safe in your hands. We just want to thank you for that hope, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll help each and every one of us to cling to that hope. Help us, Lord, to just trust you wholly and wholeheartedly to trust you because you are God and you know our lives and you've got us. Thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.